Well, good morning, everybody. Good seeing you all here. Welcome to those that are joining us online. Uh, we are in week four of this series that we have called We Are the Church, where we are going through this book of the Bible called the Book of Acts, which records what happened during the establishment of the first church. And what we've been learning is what God can do through ordinary people who are surrendered to his mission, to his mission and his message. And, and if you think about it, the growth of the early church, I mean, it was incredible what happened. And it defied any logic or any explanation. This, there was this really small group of unqualified people. They had no money. They had no power. They had no influence. And yet, they turned the world upside down. And they completely changed the course of history. And they had two weapons in their arsenal. They were completely devoted to God's mission. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be at the very end of that book, or end of that chapter here in just a few minutes. But to kind of catch you up to speed on where we are in the story of this first church. The resurrection had happened. Jesus defeated, conquered death. And he shows up for about 40 days, <clears throat> proving that he had, in fact defeated death and shows that, that he is still alive to his disciples. He ascends back into heaven and he tells uh, his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on these 120 believers and they go out and they boldly tell all of Jerusalem who Jesus was and what he had done. And miraculously, they were speaking in these different languages because people were coming into Jerusalem from all around the world. And on day one of the church, on opening day, there were 3,000 people who responded in belief that Jesus was who he said he was. Well, immediately this group, these groups started gathering together in the temple during the day and in their homes during the afternoon. And then one day... Peter and John encounter a lame beggar on their way into the temple, a guy who had been lame from birth over 40 years. And they miraculously heal this guy. God heals him. And the city goes into this buzz because they knew who this guy was. And he'd been sitting there for 40 years begging for, for mercy. Well, the religious leaders see what's going on and they start trying to stamp out this movement. And they arrest Peter and John and they tell them that they can't talk about Jesus anymore. But as soon as Peter is released, he goes back to talking about who Jesus was. And the church gathers together. And this is where we left the story out last week. The church gathers together and they pray this really dangerous prayer. They say, enable us to speak your message and to live your mission with boldness. And what plays out in the rest of this book is how these early believers lived out this bold faith in the, in the face of persecution. Now, now Luke is now going to describe, give us a snapshot of what this boldness looked like in reality as this persecution is starting to bubble up against this early church. And he paints this picture of what can happen, again, with ordinary people who are devoted to the mission of God and devoted to each other. So Acts chapter 4 it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. These people were the most generous people on earth. No one had ever seen anything like this before. No one was walking around saying, hey, this is my car, this is my house. It said that they had everything in common. Their, their food their houses, 
their property, their toothbrushes, their underwear, their deodorant. I mean, they were sharing everything. They were all in on this mission from God. Everything was in common. And notice the outcome of that. Because of this unified um, movement in God's direction, it said that the, the apostles were able to continue to testify and tell people about who Jesus was. So why did they do that? What what was the motivation behind this radical generosity that settled into these early believers? Luke tells us in the next verse, he says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the cells, and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. If you have your Bibles or your app, I would underline that word. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that the reason why they had this radical generosity was in response to God's grace in their lives. The more that these believers came to understand the significance of the cross and the significance of the empty tomb, that, that they now knew that they had assurance that they were right with God, that their sin debt had been paid, that, that they now had freedom from death. And the more that they were gripped by the grace and the mercy of God, it changed their priorities. It it changed their perspective on their stuff and it opened them up to this life of open-handed living and radical generosity. If you're taking notes, I, I think the bottom line principle for us to take from this is that a life transformed by grace will be marked by generosity. That the natural outcome of a life that's lived in response to God's grace is generosity. And, and we're not just talking about giving away money. I think the best way to, to think about generosity is that generosity is actually love in action. Generosity is love in action. If I'm not generous with my time, with my attention, with my energy towards Sarah, then I don't love her. Love always gives. And if you read through scripture, time and time again, we read about this God who loves so much that he gives. Jesus says, come to me, all you, are, you who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. The, the most famous verse in all of Scripture talks about the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's what love does. God is generous with his patience and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. And when we encounter that kind of love, And when we are filled with his spirit, who by very nature is love, then our lives will be marked with a love for others. And that love in action will look like and will be described as generous. God wants us to be generous because it is the best way to live. That's what we are designed to look like and to live like. So I want to highlight some of the benefits of being generous. And scripture paints all kinds. I'm going to give us four benefits of why it is that God wants us to be generous. What is it the benefit in our lives if we allow for this radical generosity to define and describe our lives? So if you're taking notes, here are four benefits to a generous life. The first is that generosity is the cure for materialism. Materialism is all about getting more and acquiring more and hoarding more and more stuff. I was reading this week that the average uh, house size in 1950 was 950 square feet. Uh, In 2020, the average house size was 2,500 square feet. So in about three generations, we have nearly tripled 
the space that we have to store our stuff. But that's not quite enough, is it? Um, we, we, we run out of space in our house, and then we start storing our stuff in our garage. I wonder how many people here would uh, admit, like me, that at least one of your cars is out in the driveway because your garage is filled with your stuff. Anybody? Oh, really? You guys were fantastic organizers. Proud of you guys. I, on the other hand, am a degenerate, and I store half of my stuff in my garage so I only have one car in there. And, and if we look around, that's not even enough for us either. So some creative guy came up with this ingenious idea, and he said, I wonder if we can rent space to people where they can store their extra stuff, like their, their auxiliary stuff, the stuff that they don't really like all that much. And whenever they start missing this stuff, they can come and visit their stuff in these storage bins. We have a stuff accumulation problem. Uh, so much of our lives gets tied up in the accumulation of our stuff. We, we choose careers so that we can afford to buy more stuff. And then we have to find a place to keep it and to polish it up and to replace it. And oftentimes our security and to a degree our identities get all wrapped up in our possessions. Uh, the fact is that stuff doesn't just take up space in our homes. It begins to take up space in our hearts and in our souls. And it is the biggest competitor for our hearts. And that's why Jesus talks about money and he talks about possessions more than any other topic throughout the Gospels. There was a time in Jesus' ministry when these two brothers were arguing over their inheritance that they had just gotten from their parents. And one of them comes to Jesus and he says, hey, make my brother share with me his inheritance. Their hearts were tied to the accumulation of more. And so Jesus warns them in Luke chapter 12. He says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That was 2,000 years ago. Between then and now, do you think the draw and the lure of newer, bigger, better, brighter has grown stronger or weaker? Yeah, we, we live in, in a world where we are constantly bombarded with advertising and marketing and telling us that our lives would be better if we just had that next thing. It's interesting to me that, that he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He, he warns the crowd and he warns us specifically against the dangers of greed. The, the, the dangers of making their life about chasing after more and more stuff. He, he doesn't say be on your guard against murder. He doesn't say be on your guard against hatred or lust. If you're wrestling with, with lust, you tend to know it. If you're wrestling with anger or bitterness or jealousy, you tend to know it. But there's something sneaky about greed. It's It's crafty. It, it sets these, these traps that we normally can't see like we see other sins in our lives. And when it comes to greed, it's so easy to spot it in other people's lives, but we tend to be the last ones to recognize it when it has its grips in our lives. And, and it's really easy to, to camouflage our, our materialism as something more spiritual. It's like, hey, you know, I, I'm not greedy. I, I'm just trying to provide the best for my family. I, I'm not greedy. I'm just trying to save for the future. Greed and materialism has a way of sneaking into our lives without us even knowing it. And the only antidote to greed, the only antidote to materialism and the pursuit of more is generosity. 
The only way to ensure that your possessions don't start possessing you is to give them away. And you can say, you know, I'm not, I'm not materialistic, but if you're not generous, your actions are proving otherwise. But every time you give, you break the hold of materialism. You break the hold of greed in your life and you prove with your actions that life is not measured by the accumulation of more and more stuff. A second benefit to living a generous life is that generosity teaches me humility before God. Uh, because of the culture that, that we live in, we're raised believing, you know, I, I earned this money. I, I was smarter, I worked harder, I persevered longer than the other person, so therefore what I have is mine. And we seldom stop to ask the question, well, where did that intelligence come from? Where did that ambition come from? Where did that ability in my life or that drive come from? If you read through that passage again, there's this interesting phrase that's used a couple different times. And it says that the believers would sell their, their property and they would bring their money and they would lay it at the feet of the apostles. That's kind of a technical term that, that you hear in the Bible. It, when someone was learning from a rabbi at that time, it was said that they studied at the feet of a rabbi. It, it was used to describe the, this posture of submission, of learning, of humility, that I am deferring to someone else. These early believers show us a, a significant perspective change when it came to their possessions. When, when they heard of a need in the community, they, they would go and sell something, and then they would lay these, this money at the feet of someone else, and then they would walk away, no longer tied to it, for, to, so that it could be used for some good and to meet some needs. What they realized was that God was the source of any material blessing that they had in their life. So when they began to hear that there was a need in God's kingdom, their first thought was, well, maybe we should use some of God's resources to meet the need in his kingdom. Can you imagine living that way? Can you imagine living with this open-handed way of life of recognizing that all that I have is his, so why don't I use it to meet some of the needs in his kingdom? Maybe for you, but I know, maybe for you, I know for, for me, I, my tendency is to push back against that and to defer back to this idea, no, it's mine. Uh, I, I've taken my kids, I think every one of them have had this experience, but one time, but not too long ago, I was going through a, a drive through and I ordered them a combo meal. And uh, so they got the fries and everything, and I said, hey, can, can I have one of your fries? And they look at me and they said, no, Dad, those are my fries. And in that instant, I wanted them to know a few things. <laughs> I am the source of every French fry in your life. <laughs> uh, I drove you here. I paid for them. I handed you the box of fries. You would have no fries without me. I am the source of all French fries. And I could take those French fries from you if I wanted to. Or I could buy you a whole truckload of them. In fact, I could give you a life supply of French fries. I have that kind of coin going on in my life. And I really don't need your French fries. I could get my own if I wanted to. I just want you to learn to share. And I think God is trying to teach us those same things in our lives. That he is the giver and he is the source of all that we have. And his heart is to want to, and his desire is to give us more, but he wants us to learn to share what he has given us. 
You see, my heart needs generosity as much as, or maybe more than, people need kindness. My heart needs generosity. I have got to break loose from this materialism. And, I, and it helps me to understand humbly that God is the source of all that I have, not my abilities, not my talent or my intelligence. And when I share my possessions, there is something deeply spiritual that happens in my life. See, generosity is not just transactional, it's transformational. Because I begin to realize that the value of life, that, that the, the legacy that I can leave behind is not determined by how much I achieve. It's not determined by how much I accumulate, but by how much of my life I give away to others. And there's this change that happens in my heart as I respond to understanding that God has given me everything. And I have this opportunity to partner with my God to fulfill his mission by investing some of his stuff to reaching people, to loving people, to meeting the needs of people around me. And that shift in perspective can radically change the way that you look at your life. But wait, there's more. The third benefit of generosity is that generosity draws me closer to God. Isn't it true that, that whatever you invest in, that you become more interested in? My loving wife has reminded me that I am too much of a workaholic and that I need a hobby in my life. And so this year, earlier in the year, I went out and bought a, a new-to-me set of golf clubs. And what I have found is that as I invested in that set of golf clubs, that my interest in that hobby has greatly increased. I'm outside chipping and practicing all the time anymore. But it's just a rule of life that whatever I invest in, that I will become interested in, that I will be drawn toward, that I will be attracted to. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We, we tend to think that we invest in what we are passionate about, but Jesus says it's actually the other way around, that our heart will actually follow our money. In other words, what we choose to treasure, what we choose to invest our lives in will reveal the truest things about me. Show me a person's bank statement in their calendar, and I will tell you what they value most in this life. And what this means is that if you want to align your heart with God, if you want to draw closer to his heart, then put some of your money toward his kingdom. Put some of your money towards his purposes, and you will find that your heart will follow, that your affections will follow. Fourth, one more benefit for us of a generous life is that generosity grows my faith. It grows my faith. You see, generosity shows that. It demonstrates that you are actually trusting in the promises of God. It shows that you believe that he will, in fact, take care of you. In contrast, though that hoarding money or being stingy with money or obsessing over money is really unbelief at its core. Because what, what it is saying, what it is communicating, what it is revealing is I don't believe that God will actually provide for me if I give this away. One of the last things that, that we give over to God is our finances. Because money is not just money. There, there's security that's wrapped up in there. There's identity that's wrapped up in there. And, be, and because of that, Generosity can, in fact, be this huge tool in God's hand to grow our faith, 
to grow our faith in God's promises, to grow our faith in God's provision for our life, to grow in faith in understanding that God is, in fact, trustworthy. I think that's why Malachi says in Malachi 3, he says, God is, is talking to the Israelites, and he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is the only time where God actually says, test me in this. He actually dares them to test his faithfulness. I, I've challenged people for 13 years to take God up on this tithe challenge. To, to, and, and the tithe is literally giving back to God 10% of what he has given in your life. And I've also said routinely that if you feel like um, that, that I may have some ulterior motives, then tithe somewhere else. I think what God is saying is give 10% back into his kingdom and let him show you how he will show up. Take him up on the test. And, and here's the thing I, I think uh, about the tithe. I think it is brilliant on God's part because 10% is, is significant enough that it requires some effort. It, it requires some sacrifice. Uh, and for most people, you're going to look at your budget and say, uh, Chad, the math doesn't work out. That's the faith part of it. That, that's the adventure part of it. And I will tell you this, that if you've done this, and I've never heard of anyone. I mean, I've challenged people for 13 years to do this. I've never heard anybody come to me and say that they regretted doing it. And in fact, what you'll find, what I've seen in my own life, when I've heard from others, are these miraculous stories of how God provided for them in these amazing ways at just the right time. And what can I attest to in my own life and in our family's life is that as a result of taking God up on this, it grows my joy. It, it grows my peace. It grows my faith. It grows my confidence in the goodness of God and the trustworthiness of God and his provision in my life. God is so wise that by simply calling us to this life of generosity... He simultaneously does all these things in our lives. He, he breaks the grip of materialism. It, it changes our perspective to understand that my life is not just about the stuff in me. It, it reminds me, every time that I give it away, it reminds me that the source of all that I have is this good, good father who invites me to be a part of what he's doing here in this world around me. It, it, it transforms my heart to, to see the needs of people and to serve the needs of people. And it grows my faith. And it grows my dependence on him. And on his character. And on his provision. But generosity is something that doesn't come naturally to us. You have to work at it. You have to have a plan. It has to be cultivated. So let me, I want to highlight four areas that, that God wants us to be generous in our lives. And three out of the four won't cost you a dime. And it'll still change your life. Number one, we need to be generous with our time. Generous with our time, I think a lot of us, um, we would actually assign a higher value to our time than our money. We live these busy, hurried lives all the time, these chaotic schedules that, that were not really present anywhere at any time. So who in your life could benefit from some unhurried time from you? Who could you invest in and give generously of your time? Now, maybe it's a coworker. 
who's just struggling in life for whatever reason. And he's like, hey, let me take you out to lunch. I want to give you some of my time and just hear how life is going. Maybe it's an extended time with one of your kids where you actually show up and meet them in their world. And you sit down and play their video game where you go outside and, and, and play their sport. Maybe it's a, a long phone call with a family member that you just haven't connected with for a long time. But who in your life can you be generous with your time? The second area is that we're called to be generous with our talent. Um, scripture reminds us that every believer upon salvation has been gifted with a spirit-enabled talent to be used to, to build others up and to grow God's kingdom. And each week there are hundreds of you that do that very thing. You, you show up and you serve the families and you serve the kids that come in here week after week and you do it as an act of worship to God and you do it as a way to invest in the lives of other people. We have greeters and parkers. We have a security team that, that makes sure that, that we remain safe. We have a worship team and the lights and the AV team, um, the, those that are, are pouring into the next generation of believers and Ridge Kids and Wired and Fuse on Sunday nights. They have found what their talent is and they are returning that and being generous with that to grow the kingdom. So how are you currently discovering and deploying the talents that God has put inside of you? You do have them. And I think that you should know the answer to that. How, how is it or what is it that God has put inside of me and how can I return that by investing that in other people? We'd love to walk alongside of you. We love sitting down with people and allowing them to understand how they have been wired by God and then what they can do to grow the kingdom as a result of that. The third thing is that we are called to be generous with our touch. We have people in our lives who, who need to know that they are seen who need to know that they are loved. And, and there are really simple ways that we can do that. A, a simple smile communicates so much to people. It lets them know that you actually see them, that you actually care about them. Some people need to practice smiling. I can't see your faces, but... You know, in fact, you, you could probably practice the smiling on your way out of the parking lot today. Just smile at everybody as you're walking and waiting for your car to leave the parking lot. Maybe, maybe for you, the being generous with your touches standing with somebody who's going through a really hard time and just sympathizing with them. A good friend of mine just lost his wife just a few days ago. Um, he's coming in town, but just that idea of sitting down and letting him know, hey, I, I see you, bud. I'm sorry you're, you're going through this loss. How, how can I help? Maybe it, for you it's just speaking up or, or sending out a note or a text to one of your kids. I, I know people will fill out a note and we do that every once in a while and we put it in our kids' lunchbox or, or you send them a text just saying, hey, I'm proud of you. I, I'm praying for you. I want God's best for your life. So who is it in your life that you could be generous with your touch? And the last one is being generous with our treasure. And we, we've talked about that already, but it's this idea of how can I walk through life with an open hand? How can I walk through life and see how it is that God wants me to invest some of his possessions that he has given me into other people's lives? It's all his. And he just wants us and he invites us, gives us the opportunity to be a part of his mission and spreading his message by meeting the needs of others and by showing them that they are loved. So look for ways to be generous and meet the needs of the people around you. And here's the thing, when we are generous... We are like our generous God. He, he is transforming our lives to look more and more like him. And you will never regret 
living this way. You won't. It, there's not a sweeter way of walking through this life. There's not a better way of walking through this life than by giving it away. The value of life is not found in how much you acquire or how much you accumulate. The value of life, the legacy of your life will be found in how much of your life you actually give away. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you for the um, amazing generosity of this church already. God, thank you for your generous and lavish grace and mercy and forgiveness. God, the, the only way, the, the natural response as we begin to understand what it is that you have done for us and what it is that you have invited us to be a part of is to live this radically generous life. That, that we just walk through life seeing the needs of people and we meet those needs by a touch, by our time, by serving them, by meeting a physical need through the physical things that you've given us. God, help us. Help us to look at our lives and see if there are some areas that we have closed off from you. And then Spirit, give us the boldness to live out the mission that you've called us to. And that requires a generous life. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Help us to live appropriately and in response to that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.